Amen. Thank you, Linda, for helping us to worship in that way. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We're in chapter 20. If you get there and it says the Ten Commandments at the top, you're in the right place. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, the first two commandments today, as we begin an emphasis this month on worship. Uh, You may wonder, why are we talking about worship for the month of March? Why are we doing that? Well, first of all, we gather once a week and spend an hour, an hour and a half of our time here together. So I think it's important that we think about why we do that and if we're doing it the way God calls us to. Um, And so I think it's good to spend the time uh, thinking about it and being deliberate about it. But secondly, I want to take just a moment to put worship in its context of who we are as the people of God and what we're called to do by God in the world. So if you have your uh, sermon outline, it came in your order of worship. Um, If you've got that on the back, it looks like somebody scribbled on the back of a napkin because I literally scribbled this on the back of a napkin. And um, it's just kind of a little visual for who we are and what we're called to do. And so I want to use that to put worship in its proper context. If you're visiting churches, we're glad that you're here today. This kind of gives you an overview of our philosophy of ministry and how we kind of see ourselves and our place in the world. So feel free to to keep this as your souvenir of your visit here to Redeemer Church. All right, so where we live, what's the context we live in? Well, we have learned here at Redeemer that all of biblical history, indeed all of human history, can be summarized in those four categories of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration that you see listed there. Creation, God created all things out of nothing uh, by the power of his word in the space of six days, and he created things very good. And so God created the world to be a good Good place. Well, we hear that and we say, well, gosh, the world I live in is so broken and messed up. Why is that? Well, you see, the next thing is there was a fall, right? Because people have not lived life as God designed it to be lived, the world is a broken and messed up place. But the good news is that God remains committed not only to his people, but to his creation. And you see, redemption comes next. God, because he's so created, because he loved the world, he sent his son in the person of Jesus who lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died so that we can have a relationship with the Father, but really to reconcile all things to God the Father, to make all things right, to put them back the way they were intended to be from the beginning. And you see restoration, we are moving toward a day when God will make all things right. And all crying and mourning and tears will be done away, but there'll be no more death anymore uh, because God will make all things right. And so we live in this time period on this side of the cross. Jesus has accomplished a redemption for us. And God is on a mission restoring all things to the way they were intended to be from the beginning. And so you see there, the kingdom of God is now breaking into the kingdom of this world. That's the context we live in. So who are we? If you follow around, we're the church. We're God's means or God's vehicle of his kingdom breaking into this world. Our head, Jesus, is in heaven. 
Uh, We take our orders from him. We are his hands and his feet. We're the body of Christ, and we carry out his mission in the world. And what does that look like? So what do we actually do? Well, if you look over here, if you were with us in our Acts series in the fall, we really saw the pattern of the church was this pattern of gathering and then scattering. Gathering and then scattering. They would gather together for worship and teaching and fellowship under biblical leadership. And when they did that, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would be equipped to then go out and be salt and light and engage the world. And so that's what we want to do, is we want to gather under biblical leadership for worship, teaching, and fellowship so that we're filled by the Spirit, and then we want to be sent out. You know, we're not just the church when we gather here. We're still the church when we go out, right? And we're to be salt and light. And when we go out and when we scatter, we scatter for multiplication and dominion. That was the first sermon in February. You can go back and listen to that sermon on our podcast. That that's what God intended for us to do in the beginning. And that's his calling. And that's what we do when we scatter. And that multiplication is basically evangelism and discipleship, which we focused on in February. And then dominion, bringing all areas of life under the rule and reign of Christ. Whatever area he puts under us, we want to rule that the way God would rule it. The rule it the way it was intended to, to be done from the beginning, and then as the people of God do that, as we scatter and do that, then his kingdom comes in this world and breaks into this world more and more. And so worship, to put it into context, is something that fuels us for the task that God has for us. It renews our mind. It renews our spirit and our will, our emotions, so that when we scatter, we're better equipped and better motivated to do what God has called us to do in the world. So that's why we're talking about worship today. And we're going to begin here with the first two commandments. It's interesting when God's giving the Ten Commandments, the first two deal explicitly with worship. Uh, The first tells us who to worship. The second tells us how to worship. If you'll remember the context, God's people were slaves in Egypt. He has led them out, and he's giving them these ten commandments. So if you would, give your attention to the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 20. I'll read verses 1 through 5. Hear now God's word. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father. I pray for my friends that are gathered here today. Some here today are interested in you. They're maybe interested in being a follower. Um, And that's why they're here, because they're interested. And I pray that you would be at work in their hearts, moving them from interest to excitement, to faith, to embrace you, to build their life on you. I pray that you'd be willing to do that. Father, I pray for others of my friends who are here that that would profess to be followers of you. But sometimes our hearts feel far away from you and cold. The things we talk about here that we read in your word many times feel like they have very little to do with how we live our everyday lives. And so for us, I pray that you would use this time to work in our hearts 
and that you would move these things that we believe in our head down into our hearts and out into our hands so that we serve you with glad hearts and that we have an excitement about being your people and about accomplishing your mission in the world. And we ask that you'd be willing to do that through this time, even through the preaching, through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we talk about worship today, I want to just look at three things with you. First, I want to make the case that I just want to define worship. What is worship? Let's look at the first two commandments and we'll get a definition of worship. And then second, I want to make the case that we all worship something. That we all worship something. And then third, I want to show us that what we worship shapes us. So let's look at those three things together. First, what is worship? What's a good definition? Well, I suppose there are a lot of definitions of worship. But if we're going to be guided by Exodus 20, verses 1 through 5, I'll give you my definition and then tell you how I got there based on this passage. I would say worship is this. It's giving something the highest value so that we serve that thing. Worship is giving something the highest value so that we serve that thing. And I get that definition when you look there in verse 3 of the text where God says, you shall have no other gods before me, God's lowercase g. It's not that God is recognizing that there is other divinity besides him. What he's saying is whatever is your God is your ultimate value. It's the supreme value. It's the highest value. And he's saying, look, you should anything that's more valuable to you than me, God is saying, right? And so he said, we all give the highest value to something, and whatever that is, is a God for us. It's a, it's a functional God. It's a God in our life. And if you look in verse 5, he clearly says that whatever has the highest value for us, we bow down and we serve that thing. You see there in verse 5, he says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. If you have the English Standard Version or the New American Standard or the King James Version, it says you shall not bow down to and serve them. Because in the scripture, there is this parallel between worship and service, that we serve whatever it is that we worship, that we serve whatever it is that has the highest value for us. And so that's why, based on this text, I would define worship as giving something the highest value so that we serve that thing. Jesus certainly talks in a manner that is consistent with this definition, I think in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, where he says, um, he says, uh, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You can only have one thing. No man can serve two masters, right? You can have only one thing that's your supreme value. I think in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, where he is being tempted by Satan and he says to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So you see that idea of worship and service, and you see that idea there's just one thing that is your supreme value. So I think that's a good biblical definition of worship, that we give something the highest value so that we serve that thing. Point number two of the sermon, we all worship something. And as I was preaching through this, I was thinking, maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not really a religious person. I don't really worship anything, right? 
And you may be, when I say we all worship something, you're thinking, well, I don't really bow down to, I don't pray to, I don't sing the praises to anything in particular. And so I'm really not a worshiper. And so maybe you're feeling like, hey, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. And if that's where you are, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're thinking that thought because it means you're hearing what I'm saying because I am saying that we all worship something. And I would ask you to, to kind of open your mind a little bit and just hear me out. Let me see if I can make this case for you. Because when we talk about worship in this way that the Bible talks about it, not the way you've seen it done in the past, not what you've seen done in a church, but when we look at worship the way the Bible talks about it, giving something the highest value and serving that thing, then I think you may agree with me that we all worship something. Incidentally, if you're here and you're a college student, or if you're like me and you've got somebody in your house who's going to college soon, this is a really important point. This is a big deal in the Bible, and here's why. Because you will go into the world and they will say, hey, I'm not a religious person, I don't worship anything. I'm just neutral and unbiased, and you're trying to bring your subjective thoughts into the world. And it's important that you understand that we all worship something. We all have something that is our highest value, that is our God. And to be able to see that in other people, even if they don't admit it in their own heart, is really important for you as you live and move and have your being in the world. So let's look at these three things that I've got under we all worship something. Here's the way I arrive at that conclusion. Number one, we all have things we value. I think we can agree with that. There are things, we all have things in our life that we think are important. For some of us, we value God. For some of us, we value our family. For some of us, we value our health, and we work really hard and spend a lot of time and money on our health. So for some of us, we really value our job, and we spend a lot of time and physical energy and mental energy our job or our career. For some of us, we really value money, and that's something that we put a lot of stock in, and it's something we invest heavily in. For some of us, we really value our reputation. We want people to like us, or at least we want people to respect us, and so we really value our reputation. Or, if you know me at all, you know that one of my highest values is Krispy Kreme donuts. If you're listening on the podcast, I have an empty box of Krispy Kreme donuts, not because I ate them, but because the people in front of me ate them uh, before the service this morning. I really value Krispy I love Krispy Kreme donuts. So we all value something. You value. We all have things we value. Step two, these values that we have compete with each other. Right? Some of these things we value more than others, and when push comes to shove and we have to make choices, we sacrifice some values for others. For instance, I really value my money, right? I'm holding up some dollars here. I value money. Uh, I have one going to college in the fall, and so we've really been thinking about money and how to spend our money and how we're going to budget our money. And so we've been thinking about money a lot. My money is important to me. But if I've got some dollars in my pocket, I'm willing to give up the money for these Krispy Kreme donuts, right? I'm holding up about $7. That may not quite be enough. I might need another dollar or some change. But, man, if I've got money, if I've got I'm willing to sacrifice these. I'm willing to give up my money because in the moment, the Krispy Kreme donuts are more valuable to me. And so I'm willing to give up the money for the Krispy Kreme donuts. But... Then you know I go and visit Dr. Bakafer. And Dr. Bakafer says, 
if you value your health with these lab results you've got, you have to cut back on the Krispy Kreme donuts, right? And so because I do value my health, because I want to be here to serve the Lord as long as I'm able, because I want to be here for my family, because I want to see my grandkids' weddings, then I've cut back on the Krispy Kreme donuts. I've sacrificed the Krispy Kreme donuts for my health so that I can be more healthy. So you see, in this way, we all have things we value, and those values compete, and we make choices about the things that we value more than other things. Third step, something has the highest value for you. When push comes to shove, there is something that you would give up everything else for that thing. And whatever that thing is for you, that's your highest value, that you're willing to give up everything else for that thing. And what verse 3 here is saying is that that thing is your God, lowercase g, right? Because it is the highest value that you have. And because you're willing to give up everything else when push comes to shove for that thing, then you actually serve that thing, right? All the other things in your life become subservient to that highest value. And we will sacrifice other things for that highest value that we have. Listen to what I'm saying. Even when I use the word sacrifice, you realize that's worship language, right? When I say I'm willing to sacrifice the Krispy Kreme donuts for my health, that's worship language. I don't literally take the donuts and put them on an altar and burn them up like a burnt offering, which is more what we think of when we think of worship. But certainly if I sacrifice having the donuts as often for my health, I'm making these values and I'm serving one value over the other. And so we all make these kinds of sacrifices. To bring it a little, it's easy to talk about donuts. Let's bring it a little closer to home and talk about the dollars, right? If money is your highest value, then what will drive your decision is what gains you the most money or what keeps you from losing the most money, how you can lose the least amount of money. That's what governs your choices, right? And so if it's Saturday afternoon and your kids are playing soccer and you're making a decision about whether to be at the office or whether to be at the game, if money's your highest value, then your decision is going to be driven by what's going to make you the most money or make you lose the least amount of money. And that may be staying in the office and working. It may be going to the soccer field and being there and networking with other people, maybe making some calls while you're there. But your highest value of money is driving the decisions that you make. I wonder, what is it for you? What is it that has the highest value in your heart? What do you serve? What would you be willing to sacrifice everything else for? Now listen, church going people, it is easy for us to say, well, I worship the one true God and him alone. That's what drives all my decisions. That's what drives my emotions. Does he? Is that true? Let me ask some questions of your heart and mine. And I would ask you to be open. The way I ask the other folks to be open to what is true of our own hearts. Think about it with me. Let me just ask you a few questions to help you discern what your highest value is. Think with me. What gives you self-worth? 
What makes life worth living for you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you most proud of? That could be an indication of what your highest value is. Not necessarily, but we often get out of bed and work for and strive for and live for that thing that is the most important to us. We're most proud of that thing. So what is that for you? That could give you an indication of what your highest value is. Next question. What do you most easily think about? Like when you're sitting at a red light, when you're in the shower, when you're going to sleep at night, you can think about whatever you want to. Where where does your mind go? What do you think about in that time? So that's an indication of what our affections are for, right? That what we're drawn to, what we have a love for, what, what has captured our hearts. If you're thinking about the NFL draft and if the SEC is going to have the most draft picks in the first round, maybe that's got a hold of your heart. Ouch, you didn't have to get specific, right? If you're thinking about your to-do list and what you have to do and checking them off mentally in your mind, Maybe your highest value is efficiency, is accomplishment, is getting things done. Next question, what do you worry about most? You see, we often worry when our highest value is threatened in some way. So whatever you worry about, that could be an indication of what your highest value is. Where do you run for comfort? When things don't go the way that you run to comfort food, like donuts, Do you run to your friends and your relational network? Do you rely on your own intellect? Do you read the experts, rely on the experts, or rely on your own knowledge to figure it out? Perhaps one of those things is your highest value. One more, just because I see this so clearly in my own heart. I do this all the time. How do you justify yourself? And here's what I mean by that. If somebody criticizes you, where do you go in your mind to justify yourself? I mean, it just sounds like this in my own heart, and maybe you'll recognize this voice. Because somebody criticizes me, I think, well, at least I'm a good husband. That might be true, but at least I'm a good parent. At least I have raised good kids. At least I'm a good person and do the right things and don't do the wrong things. At least I'm good at, what is it for you? At least I'm a good teacher. At least I'm a good student. At least I've accomplished things in my life. Where does your mind go to justify yourself when you're criticized? Sometimes that can be an indication of what your highest value is. What is it for you? It could be your job. It could be your family. It could be money. It could be something that's not as good like control. I'm okay as long as I feel like I have control in a situation. It could be your own comfort or entertainment. It can be your own freedom. As long as I don't have anybody telling me what to do and I can call all the shots, then I feel okay. It can be your morality, right? I do the right things, and that's what I put my hope in. But something has the highest value for you. Everyone builds their lives on something. Everyone gives their heart to something. We all set our hopes on something. We all live for something. We all find our meaning in something. What is that for you? We all worship something. And it's important for us to know what that thing is. And here's the reason why, because of point number three, because what we worship shapes us. Whatever has the highest value for us is going to determine what kind of person we are. 
Ooh, how do you make that jump? Well, we've been talking about it already, right? That whatever our highest value is, we're willing to sacrifice everything else for that thing. And all of our other values become subservient to that highest value, and we sacrifice other things. And so it affects the decisions we make. Do you know what also affects the emotions that we feel? We experience anxiety whenever our highest value is threatened in some way, right? If I think I'm going to be blocked, I think it's going to go away, I experience anxiety. Maybe you felt that with the stock market this week. You see, what we worship shapes our emotion with guilt, right? When we fail at this thing, we betray this thing, we feel guilt. We feel anger if this highest value is blocked from us or if we're not getting something that we think we have to have or that we deserve. And in this way, this thing shapes us. It controls our behavior and our emotions. It dictates the choices we make. It dictates the emotions that we feel. And all of a sudden, this thing is controlling us. And we bow down and we serve this thing because what we worship shapes us. It's a very biblical concept. You've already said it today. Did you know that? In the call to worship, Psalm 115 and verse 8, remember the psalm was talking about idols, about having something as your highest value other than God. Right, and we said those who make them will what? Will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. As we trust in things other than God, we become like those things. They shape us. That's true if we make our highest value the creator God as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you see, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're transformed into his image. We, we start to look more like him with ever-increasing glory. And that's a work that the Spirit does in us. So what we worship shapes us. It's a biblical idea. Do you know even our English word, worship, comes from this concept? It comes from the old English worth and shape, that we're shaped by the worth of something. We become shaped by the worth of whatever it is that we worship. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, right? He says, if the kingdom of God is your highest value, then it's like the pearl of great price or a treasure in the field that you're willing to sell all that you have to sacrifice all other values for this highest value because it's the most important thing to you. It's a very biblical concept. But if your heart is like mine, then we've got a problem. Because we don't assign the right value to the right things. Right? Krispy Kreme donuts are great. But they don't save your soul. And if not in moderation, they're not really good for your body either. Right? SEC football is fantastic. The best college football on the planet. But are we really justified if more SEC players go in the first round of the NFL draft? I, I suppose on some level that justifies us, but not lasting, not longing, not real justification. You see, we don't assign the right value to the right things. And many times we don't value the fact 
that the God of the universe, who created all things by the power of his word, that he loves us and he remains committed to us, even though we've rebelled against him, even though we have not lived life the way he designed it to be lived, even though in our pride and arrogance we've thought we know a better way to live than what he knows, even though we owe him all that we have and all that we are because our next breath comes from him. We don't give him that honor. We don't give him that glory. We try to rob him of his glory. Yet, he still loves us and provides for us and moves toward us and was willing, watch this language, to sacrifice his own son for us. Think about that language and how much God values you because he's willing to sacrifice his son for you. That's why it is important that we are here on Sundays. That's why worship is important. Because this is a time we are reminded the right value of things. So that we worship the true God and we're shaped by him. Instead of being shaped by lesser things. Which makes us into lesser people. As we choose created things over the creator. And make that our highest value. And listen to me. Those things are cruel masters. Money is not gracious and loving to you. Right? Your reputation is not gracious and loving toward you. Oh, what cruel masters we choose when we choose things other than the Lord our God as our highest value. Well, I want to finish today by illustrating this for you, by by giving you a picture of kind of what this looks like. It's been pretty heavy. We've been getting into our hearts, right? Into the idols that we have, the things that we need to turn from so that we can turn to the living God. And so what would the illustration be? Well, of course it would be from my favorite television show, one of my favorite shows that comes on Alabama Public Television, Antiques Roadshow. I don't know if you are familiar with Antiques Roadshow, I think it actually started in Britain, but basically they go around to different convention centers and they bring these appraisers in and people just bring all their stuff and they have these folks who appraise it. And sometimes it's funny, like they think they've got something that's worth a whole lot and it really turns out not to be, you know, and that's kind of fun. Or just the fun facts that you learn about the items that people bring. I love that show. And maybe you heard about the item that, at least at the time, was the highest-valued thing that, have, that had ever been brought to the Antiques Roadshow. Jinx Taylor, a homemaker in North Carolina, had these four jade items from China. Two bowls, a vase, a little carving in jade. Her father had, been, had served in the military, was stationed in China in the 30s and 40s before the outbreak of World War II. He bought these items, brought them back to the States. Her father had died. She inherited them. She had displayed these items in her home for years, and she was interested in them. She had heard stories that maybe they were worth a whole lot, but she didn't really know. So she was interested in these things, but she wasn't excited by them, Right? But when Antiques Roadshow comes to Raleigh, North Carolina, I mean, she packs these things up and takes them to the big city just to see what folks would say about them. And what, uh, but she's, so she, she's curious. She just wants to know. Well, 
when she gets there, this is my very favorite part of the show is when the appraisers come in, right? The Asian arts appraiser, James Callahan, is there, and he saw these bowls and these, this vase and this carving. And when he saw it, he was interested in them, and he looked at them, and he thought about them. He noticed some details about them, and then James Callahan got excited because he realized these jade things were the most valuable objects ever brought to the Antiques Roadshow. Now, let me stop right there before we get to the reveal like they did on the show. You know, he always asks some questions about how they got it and stuff. Let me ask you some questions. I'm interested in this. What's the difference in Jinx and in James, right? Compare and contrast them. Both are interested in these things. Both find them interesting, Jinx is not really excited by them. James is excited about these things. He's fired up, right? What's the difference? The difference is this. He is being shaped by the worth of the things, and she is not being shaped by the worth of those objects. Right? That's the difference between them. So what does he do? <laughs> you have to forgive a pastor for saying it like this. But he shares the good news with her, right? That's evangelism. He shares the good news with her. And I always love this part of the show where they start looking at the bowls and say, oh, uh, they appear to be, yes, they're very consistent with carvings in the 17th and 18th century found in China, probably in this dynasty. And if you turn over the bowl and you look at the bottom, it has these etchings in it. There's like something in Chinese nobody understands, right? But, of course, he's going to tell you what it is. He's like, this stamp is, a, is an imperial seal. It shows that it was made for the emperor himself. So we can narrow it down that it was dead made in the, the 18th century during this time period and for this emperor. And because this is on there and it's been preserved, then these, and he says, his quote, it's the best thing I've ever seen on the road show. He appraised it as being worth twice as much as anything else that had ever been brought to the Antiques Roadshow. Over $1 million for these four pieces. Jinx in the after the interview where they do some of the after-the-show stuff, you can look at on the website. Uh, she says, um, there's more where that came from. I have about 30 more pieces at home. <laughs> she only brought four with her to the road show. Question. Do you think Jinx got excited about the jade pieces? I mean, do you think she was more jazzed about that after she left? Of course. You see, when she began to be shaped by their worth, then her life is changed forever. End of illustration, back to sermon. Don't you want your life to be changed forever? Don't you want to be different? Oh, man, we believe the right stuff. We take the vows when we join the church. We study the Bible. But it doesn't really make a difference in our everyday lives. We're interested in God. We're interested in the Bible. We've had one on our shelf for years, and it's just been there, right? But we're not excited about it. It doesn't really change the way that we live. And that's why we come to worship every week. To be reminded of the worth of what we have. So that in the words that we sing, and the words that we say in the testimonies that we hear we are reminded of the great worth of what we have been given 
And we take some time every week to renew our thinking. We take time to see God's worth, his value, his majesty, his beauty. To to hear again the good news of the gospel. And what we know is true in our heads begins to set our hearts on fire. And we leave here and we're excited to tell other people the good news. We have the most valuable thing ever. It's worth twice as much as anything you've ever seen before. And there's an, an abundance. There's 30-fold more than that. Oh, friends, as we're shaped by the worth of God and the beauty of the good news of the gospel, God becomes the highest value for us. And then we begin to sacrifice other things for him. I'm not just talking about turning from sin. We recognize bad things. and we turn. I'm talking about turning from even good things that we make our guide, turning from good things to the best thing ever. And when we do that, our lives are changed forever. Don't you want to live like that? I do. Let's pray and ask God to do that in our midst. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that you give us the the best thing. You give us yourself. Help us to see the great worth of what we have in you and what you have done for us and the opportunity to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves as we serve you, the only gracious, kind, loving master that we could have that will make all things right, that allows us to work with you to be your co-laborers to accomplish your purposes. Shape our hearts, Father, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.